Well, as we entered into Ephesians 4, we've been talking on the issue of unity. And Paul recognizes, and he, he says, there's definitely diversity. It doesn't mean we can't have unity. But boy, you, you think about the diversity they had. It was pretty much greater than anything any other culture is going to see between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the Romans and everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, today we, we have a lot of diversity issues. Boy, it seems to be front and center. But God's greater and his spirit's greater. And I, I have traveled a, a good part of the world and people I do not know whether they're in in Eastern Europe or Africa, can't speak their language, nor they mine. But I'll tell you, after two seconds, we feel like we've known each other our whole lives. And, and honestly, because you're there with the translator, it, it seems like they are speaking your language, and I'm sure vice versa. But it's the same spirit that lives in each one of us, and that's all that mattered. It really is uh, far greater than any other cultural or language issues. Today, probably the biggest diversity issue with us in the church is those that are teenagers up to 30 years old. According to the latest Barna report, they have basically permanently left the church. Any church seeing somebody between their teenage years and 30, 35 years old, it's going to be few and far between statistically. Yeah, they've been brainwashed. They have been told that God doesn't live. Basically, a few years back, it, it, atheism in the world was going to hit in 2020 an all-time low. But yet, because of America, <laughs> we're going to have atheism actually grow in percentage and it's because of the American youth those are facts and so we do see a great divide that is there today but it should not keep us from the unity so last week we learned how to do the unity to embrace humility and to let that humility lead you into gentleness. And that, of course, leads us to a loving group of people. Well, today, Paul shifts and he begins to discuss the gifts. Probably better would be ministries uh, rather than giftings, but they're giftings of ministries. And he starts out in verse 7, but each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we've studied on grace. Grace, that free, unmerited, unearned favor of God. And he's saying that these gifts of God are equally unearned. These spiritual gifts. So we understand grace to be saved. God's given us the grace to receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation. And he says it doesn't end there. 
there's also a lot more grace coming. And understand that those two words, grace and gift, hold the same root. So there's purposely a play on the words. And here he's saying that the grace is going to keep coming. And it's going to keep causing you to be more fruitful. Whether it's unity in the body or a humble and a gentle, quiet spirit producing love in the body. God's grace now is going to flow into gifts. And so each one of us, interesting, we're going to read here now. And I want you to particularly take note of how many times Paul says, each one of us. But what we find statistically in the church today, even though we've been graced to share our faith and to be fruitful in that, whether people receive it or reject it, whether people get a seed planted or a seed watered or even to harvest, that's always what we're looking for. And often people think when they're witnessing, if I didn't harvest, I, I, didn't, I wasn't successful. No, Jesus told us most of the time we're going to be planting a new seed or watering an old seed. That's going to be the majority of the time when we share our faith. And even when we get rejected, we're still planting. <laughs> The word of God does not return void. The, plead get, the seed gets planted whether they like it or not. Or you're watering on it whether they want to get wet or not. And so even if they are in that harsh place like the Apostle Paul was, and maybe some of you, we're, we're always led in triumph in Christ when I'm sharing our faith. But yet, way up into the 90 percentile of Christians say, They've never even attempted to do so. But there's a gift of God. He'll prosper you. In the same way, a big percentage of the church has been trained that the 90%, 95% of what it takes to be a Christian is make it to church on Sunday morning and to have some ministry on Sunday morning. And so if you, you, you do that, you can sort of turn it off after church once you get to the car driving away and, and not have to think about it a whole lot. I mean, occasional radio program or occasional devotional reading. You don't have to think about it too much until next Sunday. And so people don't. That's, that's been the sort of M.O., that the Christian church in the Western culture, it didn't work for Germany. They died out a century ago, and now Christianity is, is almost non-existence there. It happened to England about 40 years ago. We're about 30 years behind England, where now people going to church in England, it's under 1%. So now we're coming to America and, and we see the scale happening, right? <laughs> I mean, most of the people that have gone to church for years, decades, have never read the whole Bible. How, how many of you guys have read Zechariah? Go ahead, raise your hand. Obadiah. Hezekiah. Yes, there is no book of Hezekiah. He's a king. But a number of you have read that book. That's interesting. Um, 
cheap trick, cheap trick, sorry about that. If you end with the Achaia, you assume you've read it. But uh, either way, there is a ministry that God has for each one of us. God gave us grace upon us, like the grace for salvation, the grace to give us the gift of eternal life. God's given us grace to be effectual ministers why we bide our time on earth until we die or the Lord returns. So Paul told Timothy to give himself to the reading of Scripture. So because this is such an important point, and it does, it's such an important point to solidify before, before we finish this chapter next week, that I really do want to take time here and, and read some Scripture together. In Romans 12, verse 3 through 8, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Notice again, each one. For as we have many members in one body, but the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in portion to our faith uh, or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in the teaching, he who exhorts in the exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Romans eight thirty two, And he who did not spare his own son, but delivers him up for us all. Notice here. How shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. There's many more giftings. He has already blessed us. Remember Ephesians 1? He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's already done it. It's for us now to learn that they're there to ask for them and to walk in them. In Romans 12:1, now concerning spiritual gifts, and that's what we're talking about here today. Brethren, I do not want you to be what? Ignorant. They were. You guys, you guys are coming together, he says in chapter 11, and it's not for the better, it's almost for the worst because of how you're doing it. And, and you're unaware how you should be ministering, having these gifts that minister not just to us in the body, but outside as well. Notice in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But to one and the same Spirit works all these things. Here it is again distributing to what? Each one. And notice how the Holy Spirit does it. Individually as He wills. As we start seeing these lists of ministries, we, 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 we're going to see one list in Ephesians. We're going to see another list in Romans 12, another list in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's almost like it's an infinite list. It's an individual, unique thing. You almost can't even put a title on it. But there are some that Paul is attempting to put a title on it. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 10 through 11. 
for which each one has what? Received a gift. Each one has received a gift. Minister to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Wow. To be a faithful steward, to be a faithful worker in God's kingdom to the many facets of God's grace. The infinite amount of facets and angles that God's grace is in our life. Be good stewards of that. Realize grace is flowing for unique things, for strange things, for different things. Uh, One church I pastored for a short time in Northern California, a guy had a ministry of writing stuff on rocks. And it was really beautiful. And he literally would walk around with a pocket of rocks. And he would bring every week a, a big thing of rocks and people would take them. And, and you hand them out. And they, you know, some of them say believe and some of them are scriptures. He'll do big giant ones as well. It was, it was amazing. He had the gift of rocks. <laughs> but he did evangelize with those rocks. When I was a kid growing up, there was an elderly lady who would do flannel graphs, uh, not flannel graphs, she would do uh, colors and then put a black light on it. And she would tell the stories of the Bible and it was so anointed. I remember as a little kid, we'd have her once a year to our church and God's spirit would just pour out. It was just powerful. She would talk and, and draw this amazing story out of chalk and then it would be black lighted and it was just beautiful, stunning. And of course, uh, we could keep going on, couldn't we? We all know some pretty unique people that have given their lives to the Lord and then realize they've got this unique little talent that God's given for his kingdom. It's not just a natural talent. It's a spiritual gift. Of course, it wouldn't be on any of these lists. And notice how powerful it's to be in 1 Peter 4.11. So if anyone speaks... When he speaks, let it be as if for the oracles of God. Wow. As if God himself were the one speaking. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you, you get this? God has this powerful life. You know, we understand we're called to be the light of the world the salt of the earth. But I think we sort of pictured it as a little candle. (laughs) But it's the sun. And that God can fill you with the spirit like the day of Pentecost. And we need that. Chapter five is gonna say, he's gonna command us. Jesus says, new commandments I give to you. There are some new commandments. One of them is be filled with the spirit. It's our responsibility to get filled with the spirit. We need to get filled with the spirit and be the light of the earth. He didn't say be light in your little corner of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And so here he is making it clear that we can tap into that grace which God supplies. And as we minister in it, it's as if Christ himself were doing it, even though it's through you. Interesting concerning this Jesus' teaching on prayer says, ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks the door will be open. For what man is there among you? If his son asks for a bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There it is. Good things or good gifts Interesting, in this same teaching, in a different venue, this time, rather than saying God giving good gifts or good things, he actually says the Holy Spirit. In Luke eleven thirteen, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So again, the charismata, which is gift, we, in, our, in our situation, we call it charismatic gift. That's just the Greek word gift. And then to be filled with the Spirit are very identical. So being filled with the Spirit is a person walking in the giftings, walking in the ministry. When a person's being used God powerfully in giftings and ministry, it's because they're filled with the Spirit. So it's interesting that in one case he says, get good gifts. But on the other hand, he says, pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you up. Because one doesn't happen without the other. And then he ends that verse 7 by saying, according to the measure of Christ's gift. This gift, again, is without measure. God's love for us is without measure. Faith is without ability. You could speak to mountains and be uprooted. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's no end to my power, so therefore there's no end to your power, in particular the churches where two or three get together in his name. Wherever we bind on earth is bound in heaven, wherever we loose on earth is loose in heaven. In other words, God says, I'm going to be in agreement with you. And what you pray for, I'm going to do it. And so here again... According to this measure, he's saying it's infinite, it's powerful, it's not natural. You, yes, God's made us uniquely knit us in our mother's womb. We have natural gifts. This is not the same. He can use those natural gifts and make them supernatural, but this is a supernatural ability that by the power of God's Spirit, He is giving us. Well, verse 8. Therefore, He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended also is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fulfill all in all. So this is an interesting quotation of, of Psalm 68, 18. And Paul here um, gives his own little interpretation or his own little version of it and obviously, I think it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he worded it the way he worded it from the verse out of Psalm 68, 18. Or it could be also that he was quoting the Targum, which is another translation of the Hebrew Bible. Either way, I think it was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What's this verse talking about? The initial picture that it's giving is the triumphal entry when somebody wins over war, 
So Christ in his first coming came as the lowly servant. But after he died, when he rose again, never again will he come to earth that way. When we see him, he will come as the conquering king, as the general of the army. And this is what we're going to see. And so when he rose again in his ascension into heaven, there at the Mount of Olives, we saw that. From that point forward, he is now the general of the army, the king of the army. And so he, when he raised from the dead, those who had already died in Christ, raised with him. And it was this triumphal parade and victory. But I also want to point out that at that taking away into heaven triggered the release of the working of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Jesus mentioned this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. If I depart, when I depart, since I'm going to depart, I will send him to you. So that's why he said, as right before his ascension, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, which also is the giftings, because they were one in the same moment, weren't they? The cloven tongues of fire came. They began speaking in tongues at the same moment. They were filled with the Spirit. And he says there that the power from on high will come upon you and you will be gifted by the Holy Spirit and become witnesses to the whole world. So first of all, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. So it gets a little complicated. He ascended to descend, but he descended to ascend. And, and you're like, what's going on here? Well, it's poetic, I, I agree. The lower parts. In the Hebrew, it's translated sheol. S-H-E-O-L is how we transliterate it. In the New Testament, it's translated Hades or hell. And what do we learn about this place? We learn that it is the holding place for the dead. But what happens is we come to this story in Luke 16. And in verse 19 to 31, I'm not going to read it. But in this story, Jesus says there is a man called Lazarus. Now, this isn't Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. This is actually uh, a poor beggar guy. And when Jesus told a parable, he would say a farmer or whatever. He would never give a name of a person. So the fact that he's giving the name of this poor person is telling you it's not a parable. This really happened. It's a story in the spiritual realm that I am aware of because I'm God. And I can tell you about it. And he says, there's this rich guy, and, and he thought his big contribution was to take his leftovers and give them to the poor. And he thought, man, I, I'm amazing. I'm such a giving person. But he didn't live for God, and he was from a wealthy family. But they both died. 
And Lazarus, who although he had a hard time in this world, he was a righteous man. And it says that he went into a section of seal. At this time, Jesus calls it the bosom of Abraham. Later, he would call it paradise. But in the bosom of Abraham is where he went. But the rich man went into Hades, hell, she, the, the other part called torment in this story. And interesting enough, in these two compartments, they could see one another. And the rich man who was in torment said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, I know that guy Lazarus. I used to help him out all the time. Could you ask him to dip his little pinky into some water and stick it across the chasm just to get one drop of relief upon my tongue? And Father Abraham said, not possible. In your lifetime, you got all the comfort you're ever going to get. Lazarus got no comfort, but for eternity, he's going to get comforted. Now, what do we discover about this rich man who was in torment? He was actually not a bad guy. He had a really caring heart because when he realized there was no hope for him, he said, but my four brothers have not yet died. Can you please send Lazarus back from the dead to warn them? Wonder where Ebenezer Scrooge came from here. And warn them so they don't end up here. And Father Abraham said, if they won't believe the scriptures, they wouldn't believe even if one raised from the dead, referring to Jesus Christ. Interesting. If they won't believe the Bible, they wouldn't believe even if one raised from the dead. That's, we, need to, we need to understand how powerful the scriptures are. There's all that we need for life and godliness is in the scriptures. But anyway... We learn from that story from Jesus. There's two compartments in Sheol. And so when Christ raised from the dead, he emptied out that righteous part of Sheol and he ascended. But there's more about this place. Peter tells us, interesting enough, that Jesus preached there for three days. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now listen, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Verse 6, or First Peter 4, 6 now. For this reason, the gospel was preached to also to those who are dead that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. This was a one-time opportunity for those who were dead. Evidently, <clears throat> from what we gather here, when Jesus was in the bosom of Abraham on the cross, remember what he said to the thief who believed in him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't referring to heaven. He was referring to this place. But Jesus there had a full-on crusade. <laughs> and for three days, he preached the gospel continuously. 
So it appears that those who were on, at that point, on the Hades side of things, got to hear that gospel, and possibly they were able to believe and be led captive free, as the captives were let free at that time as well. We, we don't know. Theologically, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a, a can of worms. And uh, some serious uh, books have been written on this. Um, I, I don't know, but it, it seems that, that everybody was able to hear. And, and I, don't, I don't think if you really need to preach the gospel to those who are already going to heaven with Christ, right? A three-day crusade seems to be towards those people in Hades. But either way, they, they all got to hear the gospel. Jesus told us about this. He said, just like Jonah in Matthew 12, 40, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly or in the heart of the earth. So from what I understanding of taking a literal temptation from the Bible, there's nothing that causes me to think other than that this place, Sheol, is in the center of the earth. And I, and I know that may seem a bit mythological, to some, when I do a graveside funeral, <laughs> I say, what does the Bible say about our bodies? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? From dust we were made, and to what? Dust we will return. That sounds rather mythological. A man was made from dirt. That sounds like one of those Greek myths. But what did we discover scientifically? that the elements in most earth on the planet is the same elements in the human body. That's a fact. And when we are laid in the dirt, we give enough time, you can't tell the difference between dirt and what used to be a corpse. So if God was right about our physical body, why would God be wrong about our spiritual body? He wouldn't be. So what's he say about our spiritual body? Those who believe in him shall never die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in the same way here, what's it matter to us where Sheol is? And couldn't God put Sheol in the center of the earth? Is that such a difficult thing for us to believe? Of course it isn't. And it appears that's exactly where it is. When we study the book of Jonah, it does appear that Jonah in the belly of that fish was taken right down next to it. But in Isaiah 61, he, he says that at the end of verse 1, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison, to those who were bound. So this verse tells us that before Christ, first when he, he died, he ascended to heaven and put his blood upon the mercy seat, the actual temple in heaven, and that the father accepted his sacrifice, but he didn't stay there. That he then ascended into Sheol, not to suffer, but to, for the opportunity to all of those in history up to that time who have died would have the chance to hear the gospel. That was fair in Christ's mind. And after three days of preaching to them the gospel, all of those who believed in him were able to ascend with him. The holding part 
of the righteous is gone. It's, it's emptied out. To now be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord in heaven. We don't have our bodies yet. Our bodies will receive at the, tribula- or at the uh, rapture of the church. Everybody gets their bodies at the same time. So, but they have some kind of body. Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, we, we don't become unembodied. But we have a temporary body of some type until the actual um, eternal body that we'll get all at the same time. We all, we all go to the graduation together. <laughs> From Adam and Eve all the way up to the rapture, everybody gets, everybody gets their diploma of their new body all at the same time. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, then he ascended up into the heavens that he might fill all in all or hold all things together, hold all things. We learned of this in, first, in Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and what? For him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. He fills all things. Interesting, in science, there's this thing called the atomic glue. They cannot explain why everything is holding together. Well, it's Jesus, the creator. He didn't just outside of himself create everything. He created all things, but his existence is in all things. And it's in his very nature that we see the loveliness, the beauty, the colors, the smells, the shapes, the sizes, the uniqueness, the amazingness of it. Yet Christ is in all of it because, I mean, he's eternal. He's, God's not a physical, he's corporeal, he's incorporeal. God's spirit is everywhere. But now we learn that he's in all things holding all things together. So interesting, there's going to be a point where everything breaks apart and melts with a fervent heat. And then God makes a new heavens and a new earth. You say, well, how does he do that? You know, get a big giant stick of TNT and... No, he just steps away from it all. And it just collapses because he's the one who holds all things together I love the way it says it in Revelation 4, 11 in the Old King James. By your will, they were created and have their being. In him, we have our being. In all things, they also have their being. Well, in, Hebrew, in Ephesians 4, 11 now, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. First of all, he himself, this is emphatic, by himself, without anybody's aid or help, did this. So Paul is saying, get it, guys. You can see it in the big four. (laughs) You can see it in how God made these apostles and called them by name. You can see how God called little Samuel You can see how God called Amos. You can see the power of of God making these great evangelists and, and, and pastors and teachers now in the church. You've seen it. Your ministry, your calling, 
is no different. Imagine if we didn't have people in those positions step up and take their leadership. Imagine where the church would be if Paul would not write. I hate writing. And I'm in prison. This is a horrible place. Get me out of prison and I'll think about writing. I hate writing. I never did good in, in uh, English comp or whatever. This is what he's saying. God did this. Paul actually says in Galatians 1 that his calling into apostleship was not from man or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So first of all, let's look at this. Let's break it down. Apostles. It means a way to be sent or the sent one, the delegate, the messenger to be sent. And so this person we know is one that was directly by Jesus. The first 12 apostles actually were there at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, even before with the apostle or with, the, um, with John the Baptist, all, all 12 of the apostles of Christ were first apostles of John the Baptist, it tells us in Acts 1, and all the way up until Jesus ascended into heaven. Those 12 apostles uniquely were the men that basically were responsible for writing the scripture. All of them were sent to various parts of the world to preach the gospel to various different continents before they were martyred. Today, would we have such apostles? Well, I, I, I think in a general sense, like missionaries, and I, I know Calvary Chapel missionaries that were like apostles. They literally went to continents there that had not heard the gospel, especially right after the Iron Curtain. And uh, not to embarrass our brother Mike um, Harris here, but he was one of those guys that as a teenager put on his backpack and went into Yugoslavia and during a very dangerous time and uh, preached the gospel and, and started a church and then started several other churches after that throughout Yugoslavia, which today is Serbia. But... Um, and some others. And, and so, you know, would you call them apostles? They would not want you to call them apostle. But in a general sense, I think all missionaries are sent ones. To some degree, I think we're all sent. Some area we have an apostleship of, of being sent to preach the gospel in a unique way. Secondly, are prophets. It's for to speak. It's to interpret the oracles or the hidden things of God. Now, prophecy can have two different forms. It can be the forthtelling of God's word. I hope when I preach the gospel, when I'm preaching here on Sunday morning, that there is a power. In some weeks, we sense it, I think, more than others. But I, I can tell you, through the years, in the midst of preaching, I can sense that, man, I hope people have ears to hear because this is not me saying this. This is right from the Lord. I can tell you many stories. I actually mentioned one to a few people on Wednesday night where I was talking and out of the clear blue, I had this thing about you're mad at your wife because she went and bought this expensive red dress over at, uh, you know, wherever, I can't remember, named the store and and it was way too expensive. You had this argument about it. And you're here this morning. You're still mad about it. And, and you know, in, in essence, you, you need to forgive your wife. 
It was something to that effect. And I had this guy afterwards ready to punch me out. It was his first time to church. His wife really pressured him to come that day. And he goes, now I know why. She called you and set you up and, you know, told you the whole thing. And I'm, I, I, didn't, I did not know his wife. We had a large church. I never spoke to his wife. I, and, and he wouldn't believe it because it was just too specific. And I told him, you, you know, I hope this reaches you eventually. But that was God. That was God specifically revealing, not to me, but through me, saying, I'm aware of you and I'm calling you to myself. He was not born again at that time. It's, it's fun just because to some degree, I, I think that's happening every time I preach the foretelling. But I think in the greater sense, most of us think prophecy as a future telling, right? A foretelling, the future telling. And we see that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, you might remember a guy named Agapus in, in Acts 11, who, who prophesied a famine was coming to the whole world and that, that Paul quickly needed to get money to take to the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul started on this campaign going to all the Gentile churches he had started and gathering finances to get back to Jerusalem so they could weather the storm of the famine that was coming. And then later, we see Philip, the evangelist, has four virgin daughters, and they all prophesied to Apostle Paul uh, right before he gets arrested and sent to Rome. So we do see actual prophets. We also see people prophesying. It seems to be different. The, the actual office of a prophet versus people that are not prophets, but yet at times prophesying. So do, what do we see in this today? Yes, absolutely. People can have that, that gift of prophecy. Sometimes I think it comes out in a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, like what I just told you about the red dress. I don't think that was a prophecy as much as it was a word of knowledge. But you say, well, well which is it then, right? I don't think we have to decide. I don't think it matters. This is what I'm saying. I think the gifts of the Spirit are infinite, and I think they lapse over each other. I don't think we have to always be able to dissect it, to put into our journal for the day. Just say God's Spirit moved, and it was something powerful. That's all I know. But in particular, this gift of prophecy in verse 14, or 1 Corinthians 14, 1, notice what it says. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. There you go, guys. We are commanded by God to desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Out of all the gifts of the Spirit, we should desire them all. Man, I'm just praying I can speak in tongues. That's great. I'm praying I can have interpretation of tongues. That's great. I want the gift of faith. I want the gift of healing. I want the gift. Those are great. Desire them. Pray for them. Ask God to give them to you. He gives them severally, individually, as he wills. So this week it might be prophecy. Next week it might be the gift of healings. I, I don't think you, you, you can just have one gift and that's it. I think you could experience several gifts. But in particular, God says, for the church's sake and to edify the church, pray the most for the gift of prophecy. Interesting enough. Then the evangelist, interesting, it's good messenger, or the bringer of good news. We see a powerful evangelist in Philip. He was one of the seven deacons, as you remember. 
And he went out and God used him mightily in preaching the gospel. And at one point, he was actually translated by God to a whole nother location. And there he was on a street and there was this chariot coming up with this Ethiopian guy and he's standing there by the Holy Spirit translating him into a different location. Beam me up, Michael, the archangel, beam me up, you know. And he starts talking to this guy and says, hey, you're reading the Bible. What are you reading? Where are you reading that? And he, I'm reading Isaiah 53. Well, do you understand it? And there he leads him to Christ. So it's a wonderful gift. We, we see it talked about in Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So with that gift of evangelism. Today, you know, people, we, we see that are called to evan be evangelists, like the Billy Grahams, the Greg Lorries. That's, that's awesome. But there are also people called to be evangelists that just do it one-on-one. -on -one. They just do it in the growth. They're very natural at it. And I'm sort of jealous of that gift. But guess what? We are all called to evangelize. Just like we all are to pray to prophesy. We are actually all called to be evangelists. Read, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 4. But in verse 5, he says, all of us need to do the work of an evangelist. If you don't have the gift of evangelism, guess what it is? work. <laughs> but he said, you're not fulfilling your ministry if you're not doing that work of an evangelist. So we're not to just leave it to the professionals. We are also to all be actively involved in it. And then pastor, teacher. This is definitely one single calling. Some try to separate them out, but it's clear that he's saying a pastor is one who teaches and a teacher is the one who pastors. And together, those things make a shepherd. And all I have to say in one word is Chuck Smith. We, we, we really don't need to have this explained to us. We had uniquely in church history a man who became famous by being a pastor teacher. He wasn't a great prophet. He wasn't a great evangelist. Although God used him in all of those different giftings, he was just a regular guy plugging, plodding away, getting the sheep, taking them out, taking them to green grass, still water, taking them back. Most people thought it would be, uh, you know, a very boring thing to do what Chuck did, but he was called to it and, and, and loved it. Billy Graham said that if he could have one other calling than the one he had, it would be to be Chuck Smith's assistant pastor. I mean, that tells you how powerful of a thing Chuck was. David Guzik says this, pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers, in ancient Greek clearly describes one office with two descriptive titles, who shepherds the flock of God primarily though not exhaustively, not exclusively, through the teaching of the word of God. F.F. Bruce says, teaching is an essential part of the pastoral ministry. It is appropriate, therefore, that the two terms, pastor, teachers, 
should be joined together and denote one order of ministry. The word pastor in the Greek is poimen. You guys, some of you guys might recognize that because I'm a part of a ministry called Poimen Ministry that uh, Bill Holdridge started. And it's guys that have, on average, been pastoring for 30 years, helping out other pastors. The actual, trans, the actual saying is Poimen, but it didn't sound as good. Poimen sounds like we're all from the South. So, so <laughs> Bill, Bill made it sound a little cooler. Poimen, yeah, we're men who are poised. Um, Anyway, it's just the word herdsman or shepherd. How can I give you the best example of a shepherd? Jesus. Listen to John 10, verse 10 through 14. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Amen. A good shepherd gives his life for a sheep. I will just say this as my legacy. God has been perfect towards me. I've been through a lot of stuff, the death of a child, the death of a grandchild, been through a lot of other difficulties, but I can tell you, God is perfect. And I can say without any hesitation, without any exception or small print, he is my good shepherd. But the hireling is he who is not the shepherd, but one who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I've known my own. What do we see? That Jesus is our shepherd. He is self-sacrificing, willing to lay his life down for the sheep. That Jesus as our shepherd involves he protecting the sheep. And being the shepherd requires knowing the sheep. He knows them. He protects them. He cares for them. In 1 Peter, Peter talks about being a shepherd and he learned from the best, Jesus himself. The elders who are among you, he says in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, the elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as an overseer, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. God's shepherds serve willingly, not by compulsion or force or being talked into it. God's shepherds aren't in it for money. God's shepherds are gentle with others, not lords over others. God's shepherds are examples that others might follow. And then we see the teacher. The teacher is one who explains the things of God. We're going to be seeing in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 8, they gave, them a, gave everybody a sense of, of the scriptures. I like that. But it's important from God's point of view that people learn to hear and understand his word. So God gives the word, but do they understand it? Matter of fact, God will do whatever he needs to do to get somebody's heart to be in that teachable place. If we're not teachable, we're worthless. If we're not humble and moldable, teachable, able to receive, we as God's children become completely fruitless, just like a sheep 
They won't follow its shepherd. So notice what God had to do to the entire nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 8.3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God said, I took you not an easy way. I took you the most difficult path so you would learn to go out and get the manna obediently and eat that right from God's hand. You'd be hungry and you would eat daily, 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 daily from God's hand. You would get that routine of of going out and looking to what God's provided, that manna, which is, uh, you know, the word of God, example and analogy of the word of God. And you would eat it every day and then you'd keep eating it all day. And that alone would be your sustenance. Boy, it's so important we don't just like God's word, but that we get addicted to God's word, right? That we can't live without God's word. We're addicted to it. We need it. In Acts 6, 40, in, 6, in Acts 6, 4, Paul makes it, or excuse me, Peter and the gang makes it clear that they have to stop feeding the poor widows and give themselves, he says, continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. That this is a part of our calling that's the most important part of our calling. And, and if we want to be servants, want to be example of servants, we want to be washing one another's feet as Jesus commanded us, but the most, the most important thing I can do in my calling is to give you the word of God clearly. All of us need all of the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen to verse 17, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. So again, you can see how important the teacher's job is, that he's giving you all of God's scripture. So we're going to be in Nehemiah on Wednesday nights, and then we're going to go to a couple other smaller books in the Old Testament, New Testament. But in September, we're going to start teaching on Wednesday nights in the book of Genesis all the way through the Bible. What is God's ultimate heart on this in Jeremiah 3.15? And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. There it is. My heart above all is that you'd have shepherds and that they would be feeding you or teaching you with knowledge and understanding and that you would know my heart and know my ways. What do, what do we get out of this? This is just one piece of the puzzle. It really sort of develops as we look into next week. But, but what do we get? That we are spiritual giants. <laughs> that whether you're an apostle or whether you just love the gift of mercy, you need to be walking in that whether you're the pastor with the big mouth teaching <laughs> or with, whether you're the, the little tiny guy with the gift of giving and you're doing it joyfully, whether you're the prophet or the administrator, these are supernatural gifts of God that God wants us to be walking in the ability that God provides. 
He wants us to be experiencing the manifold facets of God's grace in our life. We wouldn't just have one little gift. This is my gift. No, that you're gifted by God's Holy Spirit. That may look this way today, that way tomorrow. But whatever it's going to be, you're going to be speaking, communicating, maybe just with your life, maybe with a smile, maybe with a track, maybe with a hug, maybe with just some loving words but you're going to be communicating Christ to the world as a light to the whole world, as a salt to the whole earth. And that when we come here in the body, it's something powerful that happens. Mark Twain said this, the church is a place where nice, respectable people stand in front of other nice, respectable people and become more respectable and nicer. I'll tell you what, I grew up in a church that was pretty much like that. If you were nice and respectable, you went to church. And all the other nice and respectable people went there too. And you had to show up to let them know I'm nice and respectable. And they teach us how to be even nicer and more respectable. I hope that's not what's happening here. I I hope that it's not just The fellowship, that's good. That's important that we connect. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, did you see that Laker game? Hey, did you? You know, I, I think that on a human level, I think that's wonderful. It's needful. It's normal. It's healthy. I, I hope we want to have that kind of relaxation and get to know each other. I hope it's not just on a soulish level. How's your job? How's your marriage? How's your kids? How's your emotional life? How's, how's it work? You know, That's good too. I think we need that. Of course, you could do that down at the bar, having a beer with the guy next to you. Okay, that that can happen other places than the church, right? But what do we say here? That the church is a spiritual place. That when I come to church, I am touched spiritually. That my spirit in the inner man is strengthened convicted at times it shakes at times it celebrates but I can't get out of here without being touched if it doesn't happen as we sing and worship to God and we sense the angels singing with us and God's presence falling upon us then it would happen in the conviction and the joy and the revelation and the comfort and the washing through the word of God and, it, and then after it happens in those two places, or if it doesn't reach me in those two places, then I know that somebody's going to give me a big hug and, and say, what did God speak to you this week in the word? Let me share with you what God's been speaking to me Then you can share with me. Let me tell you what the Lord spoke to me through the message today. But you're getting a spiritual explosion here. Somebody laying hands praying for you here. Somebody sharing a verse, which is actually a prophecy. Somebody else sharing about something in their life, which is really a revelation into your own life. Somebody sharing a scripture that spoke to them this week. And that's probably what God would have spoke to me had I been in the word this week. So man, I got the, <laughs> I got the Reader's Digest catch-up version for this next week. I need to jump in line. But, but God spoke to me. And I'm leaving here spiritually filled. You see, I think that's why the younger generation isn't coming to church. 
Because I can get that on the social media. I can get that at Starbucks. I can get that at the pub and a piece of pizza as well. I don't need to, I don't need church because it's, it, it's what I can get elsewhere. And yeah, it's dicey. I mean, if you're not going to want a spiritual life, you're going to quit coming to church. And maybe that's why a lot of the young people coming to church, they really have been shut off by the strongholds of Satan permeating their brains with lies. But I'll tell you what, the whole world's always that way. <laughs> to one degree or another. But God's spirit is calling them to salvation. He is greater than anything that's going in force around them. And that, that's our jobs. We are professional breaker downs of strongholds that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And so you say, man, yeah, I'd like to have a spiritual church that way. Forget that. You be that person. Even if nobody else is that person, you are that person that, that is talking spiritually. You are that person laying hands on one another. You are that person anointing them with oil. You are that person grabbing them and hugging and praying for them and, and maybe even prophesying or giving a word of knowledge or speaking in tongues with interpretation or praying for them with a the gift of faith or healing. You be this because God has already done it. Do you have the grace that you're saved? Do you have the gift of eternal life? Then you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. Every believer, each one. Did you see how many times Paul said that? Every time he mentioned it, whether it's Ephesians 4, whether it's Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, he said it more than once to each one, to everyone. The Holy Spirit makes sure he individually, uniquely, in a brand new way, he, God's infinite, he doesn't need to repeat himself, is going to make you that minister. That's, that's what we should have heard today. And to say, God has established the church on a rock and he has planted it in a fertile soil. And this thing should just be growing. We should just be every week just growing by leaps and bounds going, wow, what's God going to do next week? What's God going to do next week? And we find ourselves being a greater minister to one another and a greater fruitfulness in the world as we live. Amen? Well, let's close with a song. Come on up, guys. Hmm. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name.